The Law School of America. Res gestae, Latin things done, is a term found in substantive and procedural American jurisprudence and English law. In American substantive law, it refers to the start-to-end period of a felony. In American procedural law, it refers to a former exception to the hearsay rule for statements made spontaneously or as part of an act. The English and Canadian version of res gestae is similar but is still recognized as a traditional exception to the hearsay rule. Res gestae in American substantive law. In certain felony murder statutes, res gestae is a term defining the overall start-to-end sequence of the underlying felony. Generally, a felony's res gestae is considered terminated when the suspect has achieved a position of relative safety from law enforcement. Res gestae in American hearsay law. Under the federal rules of evidence, res gestae may formerly have been, but is no longer, an exception to the rule against hearsay evidence based on the belief that, because certain statements are made naturally, spontaneously, and without deliberation during the course of an event, they leave little room for misunderstanding slash misinterpretation upon hearing by someone else, for example, by the witness, who will later repeat the statement to the court, and thus the courts believe that such statements carry a high degree of credibility. Statements that could be admitted into evidence as res gestae fall into three headings. 1. Words or phrases that either form part of, or explain, a physical act. 2. Exclamations that are so spontaneous as to belie concoction, and 3. Statements that are evidence of someone's state of mind. The present sense impression, excited utterance, and then existing mental, emotional, or physical condition hearsay exceptions now cover many situations, under the federal rules of evidence, that would formerly have been considered res gestae. In some jurisdictions the res gestae exception has also been used to admit police sketches. The following scenario is an example of types 1 and 2. Imagine a young woman, the witness, standing on the side of a main road. She sees some commotion across the street. On the opposite side of the road to her she sees an old man and hears him shout the bank is being robbed, as a young man runs out of a building and away down the street. The old man is never found, and so cannot appear in court to repeat what he said, but the woman repeats what she heard him say. Such a statement would be considered trustworthy for the purpose of admission as evidence because the statement was made concurrently with the event and there is little chance that the witness repeating the hearsay could have misunderstood its meaning or the speaker's intentions. Under the federal rules of evidence, res gestae may also be used to demonstrate that certain character evidence, otherwise excludable under the provisions of Rule 404, is permissible, as the events in question are part of the ongoing narrative, or sequence of events that are necessary to define the action at hand. Other uses. Res gestae is also used to refer to those facts or things done which form the basis or gravamen for a legal action. Res gestae is also used in Respondent Superior Vicarious Liability Law. Particularly, res gestae refers to time, place, and in the interest of an employer. Res gestae is a publication of the Indiana State Bar Association. Res gestae is R.G. Collingwood's term for the world of human affairs, as separated from the natural world, in his The Idea of History, 1946, which deals with the philosophy of history. A present sense impression, in the law of evidence, is a statement made by a person, the declarant, that conveys his or her sense of the state of an event or the condition of something. This statement must be spontaneously made while the person was perceiving, for example, contemporaneous with, the event or condition, or immediately thereafter. The permissible time lapse between event and statement may range from seconds to minutes, but probably not hours. The subject matter and content of the statement are limited to descriptions or explanations of the event or condition, 
therefore opinions, inferences, or conclusions about the event or condition are not present sense impressions. An example of present sense impression is of a person saying, it's cold or we're going really fast. Under the federal rules of evidence, a statement of present sense impression is an exception to the prohibition on use of hearsay as evidence at a trial or hearing, and is therefore admissible to prove the truth of the statement itself, for example, to prove that it was in fact cold at the time the person was speaking, or to prove that the person was indeed traveling very fast. The basis for this exception is the belief that the statement is likely reliable and true, as there is no time for reflection, distortion, or fabrication. The witness testifying about the statement need not be the declarant who, with first-hand knowledge about the event and condition, would normally make a better witness. The witness must have personal knowledge of the declarant's making of the statement but need not have personal knowledge of the event or the content of the statement. For example, a policeman observed from a distance that a reporter was dictating into a voice recorder while a shooting was going on but could not hear what the reporter was dictating. The reporter is unavailable to testify. The policeman testifies that he saw the reporter make the dictation. Upon proper authentication, that portion of the audio recording containing descriptions or explanations of the shooting is admissible as a present sense impression. Now a word from our sponsor, the Law School of America. Declarations against interest are an exception to the rule on hearsay in which a person's statement may be used, where generally the content of the statement is so prejudicial to the person making it that they would not have made the statement unless he believed the statement was true. The federal rules of evidence limit the basis of prejudices to the declarant to tort and criminal liability. Some states, such as California, extend the prejudice to hatred, ridicule, or social disgrace in the community. The admissibility of evidence under the Declaration Against Interest exception to the hearsay rule is often limited by the Confrontation Clause of the Sixth Amendment. A declaration against interest differs from a party admission because here the declarant does not have to be a party to the case but must have a basis for knowing that the statement is true. Furthermore, evidence of the statement will only be admissible if the declarant is unavailable to testify. For example, California's Evidence Code Section 1230 defines declarations against interest as Evidence of a statement by a declarant having sufficient knowledge of the subject is not made inadmissible by the hearsay rule if the declarant is unavailable as a witness and the statement, when made was so far contrary to the declarant's pecuniary or proprietary interest, or so far subjected him to the risk of civil or criminal liability, or so far tended to render invalid a claim by him against another, or created such a risk of making him an object of hatred, ridicule, or social disgrace in the community, that a reasonable man in his position would not have made the statement unless he believed it to be true. A learned treatise, in the law of evidence is a text that is sufficiently authoritative in its field to be admissible as evidence in a court in support of the contentions made therein. Under the common law, such evidence was at one time considered hearsay, a statement made out of court being introduced to prove the truth of the statement, and was not admissible except to rebut the testimony of an opposing expert witness. There were four ways to introduce such evidence. 1. Adduce testimony that the opposing expert witness actually used that text to reach his conclusions. Two. Adduce testimony by the opposing expert admitting that the text is an authority in the field. 3. Have a friendly expert witness testifying against the opposing expert witness attest to the authoritativeness of the text. 4. Have the judge take judicial notice of the text, if it is sufficiently notable that the average person would know that it is an authority, for example, Gray's Anatomy. Under the Federal Rules of Evidence 803, 18, Either party can introduce a learned treatise as evidence, irrespective of whether it is being used to rebut the opposing party. 
such texts are now considered an exception to hearsay, with two limitations. 1. For the learned treatise to be introduced, there must be an expert witness on the stand. 2. Like a recorded recollection, the actual learned treatise does not go to the jury, but instead comes into evidence only by being read to the jury. In the law of evidence, an implied assertion is a statement or conduct that implies a side issue surrounding certain admissible facts which have not necessarily been complied with the rules of relevance. There is varying opinion of whether hearsay evidence of implied assertions should be admissible in court to prove the issue within contents. While they are considered hearsay, they are generally considered to some extent unreliable than regular statements which are less easy to be fabricated. In R. V. Sukhav Singh, Rose L. J. giving the judgment of the court said this at paragraph 14. When section 114 and section 118 of the Criminal Justice Act 2003 are read together they, in our judgment, abolish the common law hearsay rules, save those which are expressly preserved, and create instead a new rule against hearsay which does not extend to implied assertions. What was said by the callers and Curley would now be admissible as direct evidence of the fact that there was a ready market for the supply of drugs from the premises, from which could be inferred an intention by an occupier to supply drugs. The view of the majority in Curley, in relation to hearsay, has been set aside by the Act. In Sukhav Singh various telephone entries were held not to be a matter stated within Section 115 but to be implied assertions which were admissible because they were no longer hearsay. With respect to authentication, an ancient document is one that may be deemed authentic without a witness to attest to the circumstances of its creation because its age suggests that it is unlikely to have been falsified in anticipation of the litigation in which it is introduced. Under the American Federal Rules of Evidence, FRE, a document is deemed authentic if it is. 1. At least 20 years old. 2. In a condition that makes it free from suspicion concerning its authenticity, and 3. Found in a place where such a writing was likely to be kept. Many states have similar rules, but may limit the application of the doctrine to specific kinds of documents such as dispositive instruments, primarily conveyances, deeds, and wills, and may require the documents to be even older. By admitting an ancient document into evidence, it is presumed only that the document is what it purports to be, but there are no presumptions about the truth of the document's contents. A jury can still decide that the author of the document was lying or mistaken when the author wrote it. Hearsay. Ancient documents also present an exception to the hearsay rule. FRE 800-316 applies this exception to all documents over 20 years old. Because of their age, they may be presented as evidence of the truth of any statements contained therein. Many states follow this rule as well, but again most limited to documents that dispose of property. The Law School of America The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America